Okay, good evening. Hello, Leute. Guten Abend. It's the Vinyl uh, Revelations podcast with myself, Stuart Cowie, and Dave Sharp. Mr. Dave Sharp, how are you this evening, David? Yeah, fine. Yeah, got through another week of work and kind of chilling at the weekend. It's all good. Excellent. Yes, that's very good. Every day is a challenge these days. We're on, uh, I don't know what it is, must be day 330 of the two-week lockdown. That's so right. Life is going well. Yeah. Um, yes, so uh, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Um, David, amazing news. We have, um, my producer is just passing me a piece of paper here. Thank you very much. And I'm reliably informed that we have increased our uh, audience by 100%. Oh, amazing. Last week. So that's amazing. So uh, now we've got two listeners. Two listeners. <laughs> yeah. So thank you both. Right. Okay. So David, what are we listening to this week? Well, it's um, an album that we we both I think love and have you know quite a strong affection for. It is Pantera's sixth studio album, "Vulgar Display of Power." Oh my God. O M F G. Yeah, that is the one. So I think uh, before we get cracked into that in true Pantera style, I think we should um, get uh, get some drinks in order. So, David, what are you going to be drinking uh, while we chat tonight? Well, I've been uh, trying to keep the old weight down. I've had a week at work, so I haven't had a whole lot of chance to do exercise. So I was on the, the bike earlier on. So I'm, I'm just on the soft drinks tonight, Stuart. Ah, right. So that would be, in terms of Pantera, that would be like the, uh, the Coke without the whiskey yeah exactly yeah yeah right. absolutely well um i am actually drinking something a little bit uh unusual i'm drinking a drink i don't know if you can see the camera there uh it's a korean drink called soju which is uh it's like a, a vodka rice wine and um yeah i've also had a bit of a rough week with computers and stuff so you know um I actually bought this when I was in Bristol because there was a, an Asian shop just across the street from the site. And after having driven down for six and a half hours and then walked around a nine story building for another six hours and then knowing I had to drive another six and a half hours home through the snow, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to have a drink. <laughs> the fun never ends. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can hear that glug, glug, glug. Yeah, that's a happy always... noise. That's a happy noise. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, dear listeners, um, let's get cracking. I'm just going to have a little sip here. <laughs> yes, that is good. That is good. I'm really happy with that. So, yeah. So, David, yes, you said it was uh, Pantera's sixth studio album. Now, I was going to uh, interject there, but of course, you are correct. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, about, about the album itself or... Um... No. Well, what I was... To me, um, it's a kind of a little known uh, fact that uh, Pantera started out as a glam. Yes, of they did. Band, and they had the... There are three or four albums in the late 80s, which I have never heard and I've got no interest in hearing. They, they, they're on, they are on YouTube, if you look. Are they? Yeah, they, mm. they are on YouTube um, with some pretty horrendous album artwork, but you, you can yeah. find them if you look for them. And I have um, spent a bit of time with them. Um, I mean, if you've got Vulgar Display of Power and Cowboys from Hell, why would you, yeah. you know, it's, they're, they're pale imitations, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, my my uh, my introduction to uh, Pantera was um, was actually through um, one of my dad's friend's sons, who was a few years older than me at school. Uh, 
Well, I think, uh, I would have gotten into um, Cowboys from Hell, but uh, obviously Cowboys from Hell came out from came out in 1990, I think. I, th- However, uh, this is a big part of why we want to do this podcast. Like, it's how uh, music um, effect, uh, influences and affects your life at different stages, mm. and there's how the music was made and when the music was made, yeah. but there's also the point in time when which you hear it. Mm. Um, so, as you said, David, this album came out in uh, Vulgar and Split Power came out in 1992. But when was the first time you heard it? Well, I actually the first time I heard Pantera was the album after this, Far Beyond Driven. Oh, really? Yeah. That's... So, I I was I you know. I, I was beginning to get into music in a big way, looking for heavier music, riff, and what heavy riff oriented music. So, I actually started out with Pantera with um, Far Far Beyond Driven and went came back to this album because hey, yeah. everybody knows Walk, don't they? And and Walk yeah. was kind of you know it, it was regularly played on um, MTV and, and things like yeah. that. So I yeah I I, I kind of went back. Um, kind of when we were at school, and and, yeah. and and discovered vulgar display of power. And so, what year was that? You got introduced to Pantera in Far Beyond Driven. So when was Far Beyond Driven? Out ninety five. Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so probably ninety four. Ninety yeah ninety five. So. Oh, so when it came out, right? Okay. Yeah. Cool, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then the same kind of the same. You're like, oh, I like this. So you know, I I went I went. Back through their back catalogue and so ninety five, you would have been fourteen, maybe fifteen. Then. Hell yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yes, well, same as me. So uh, David and I, uh, we went to uh, secondary school together in the northeast of Scotland, a city called Aberdeen. Um, so yeah, a little bit removed from everywhere, but um, yeah. So um, I noticed uh, in the last podcast you mentioned uh, MTV. Did you have satellite TV? Because I, I did not. I just had domestic television. And for our viewers, younger viewers at home, or listeners rather, um, television in the 90s consist, consisted of four and then bang, five channels <laughs> up until about, I don't know when digital TV came in. But um, on those four or five channels, um, I can only think of whew, one sort of Saturday morning video show. We, obviously, yeah. we had Top Pops, but we didn't have Pantera on Top of the Pops. Yeah. I don't... Um, so, yeah, I... I, um, uh, I Yeah, I never... Really, the only time I saw on TV was uh, kind of like when Beavis and Butthead was on late on a Friday night or when I was at friends' houses for parties and stuff. Yeah, that that was pretty much it. Yeah, going over to friends' houses, um, one of our mutual friends in particular, um, they had... Um, cable tv with with mtv on it so it was kind of mucking about after after dinner um not much to do round about where we were you know yeah um listen to music putting mtv yeah. on yeah i mean i didn't have M- mtv either and i think you know he was pretty much bored of it but because it was a bit novel to to me i was you know i was nagged to, to put mtv on just see you know what was what was on and what was worth watching yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, it's interesting, actually. Um, before we get talking into the sort of the meat of the album, um, well, as I said, my first introduction to Pantera was uh, from the first. I I got into them chronologically, um, although it was after the fact. So probably it would have been nineteen ninety five, maybe even ninety six. Actually, mm. uh, that would probably make sense because you were more of a metalhead than I was. Yeah. Um, so I think it was probably ninety six. 
and uh, yeah, my my uh, older friend he said, "Oh, you've got to check this out, Pantera." And uh, I was learning; uh, I'd been learning guitar for a few years and gotten become pretty good actually, but I'd never heard um, uh, the sort of pentatonic uh, uh, blues scale used for riffs. And when you hear the Cowboys from that is all that is all pentatonic blues, and it was quite um, uh, uh, like from a kind of musical theory point perspective, it was kind of interesting to have heavy metal uh, using the blues. Now, I know that sounds kind of a bit of an oxymoron when you think of like Black Sabbath being effectively a heavy blues band that became a heavy metal band, but we've got to understand that this has gone through the prism of the 80s and you had, you know, like heavy metal was basically very, uh, what do you say, a bit stiff or fast. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean it was... I obviously know this album really quite well, and it was good listening to it with quite an analytical ear um, mm. and kind of really drilling down into in, in, into into the music. And yeah. I didn't appreciate the amount of blues through this until yeah. recently. Um, some of these riffs are incredibly bluesy, and, and yeah. I, I never really appreciated that before. Yeah. Um, and then there's hints of Van Halen through the solos and kind of riding on top of that. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you actually mentioned that because when you were talking about sort of pre, uh, let's let's call it pre, like Pantera light, let's call it for that for the sake of arguments. Um, they were, you know, uh, Dimebag and Vinnie Paul, obviously brothers, and they were big Van Halen fans. And obviously in Van Halen, you had uh, Eddie Van Halen, the guitarist, and Alex Van Halen, the drummer. And particularly in their first album, Van Halen, in 1979. It's just an unbelievable album. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. So tight and swing. It's tight, but it's got absolutely, you know, it swings and it grooves and get unbelievable guitar playing, unbelievable showmanship, everything. So I was glad that you uh, you pointed uh, that one out. But yeah, so coming back to uh, my sort of uh, segue into this album, having heard uh, Cowboys from Hell, I thought this was great. And I thought this was like really heavy in something else. When I first heard Vulgar Display of Power, it actually shocked me because it was so much heavier, mm -hmm. you know, and it was so much heavier than anything I'd ever heard. And what, what do I mean by heavy? Well, as I said, in the 80s, you know, like heavy metal was quite um, rigid rhythmically. It was either like really fast, like... Uh, thrash. You know, thrash, yeah. So like, um, what's like Megadeth and, and Stein. You know, <laughs> <laughs> or... You know, like a very class, like a typical Metallica sound would be, you know, more of a stomp, you know, so very, you know, mechanical, you know, yeah. very, but suddenly you had a Pantera coming out with kind of, well, we now call it groove metal, but syncopated heavy riffs, you know, the only thing I can think of as being kind of semi close to it would have been Sepultura, but mm -hmm. with that kind of like Brazilian type riffs, but, you know, like one of my favorite songs in the album is A New Level, which uh, in terms of like guitar playing and sort of music is is so, it kind of like... Sorry, sure. can we just take a moment to appreciate that riff in A New Level? Can we just take a moment there? Because that is just absolutely, absolutely an incredible riff. <laughs> so I, 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 I just had to say that. It just, it, it yeah. blows my mind every time I listen to it, like, you know. Well, it, it, the thing about that riff is it does, it, uh, well, there's a lot of riffs in that song, but the... Like I say, Pantera knew the rules, or Dan by Daryl certainly knew this kind of musical theory, but didn't. 
he saw them not as uh, rules or confinement. He just mm. sort of broke out. So like most of their songs are kind of in the root, uh, you know, like E or D. And of course, in this album, they dropped uh, the tune down the half step. And then a lot of the songs are uh, uh, drop D down. So you're or C sharp. So you're playing that riff, chugging away. If anyone of an older um, persuasion, you would recognize maybe like Masters of uh, Reality, the uh, Black Sabbath album, that's in C sharp. Oh, really? Pretty I didn't know that. Didn't yeah, yeah. That. Um, so um, I think I got that right, didn't I? <laughs> well, I, I, it's, a, it's the album I'm thinking. I can't think. Uh, the one that's got Sweet Leaf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. So, uh, yeah. So when you come in with Pantera, suddenly you've got a chromatic riff, you know. And it's um, uh, the, the rhythmic pattern is kind of strange because it's not uh, like standard two, four, six, eight. It's yeah. like three, five, seven, and then eight. <laughs> Is that three, five, seven, and then four? No, I can't be right. All right yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's kind of like pre-Mashuga. You know, it's, it's using uh, different... So the, the, the accent lands in the different part of the beat. Mm -hmm. And then when, when the, the verse riff kicks in, which is just that kind of... It's so energetic and so heavy and it's so aggressive. And yeah, I mean, then the, the, then the sort of break riff before the guitar solo is kind of like a diminished um, scale played out on the heavy E string. Now, when I was learning guitar and listening to Ingrid Malmsteen and Randy Rhodes, the only time you heard diminished scales was in the kind of flying guitar solos. You'd, no one ever thought, well, I hadn't thought of using it as a kind of heavy riff, you know? Yeah. Now it's commonplace, but this was, these guys are so far uh, for far ahead of the, the game. Um, yeah, I'm just, I've got the uh, album cover just in my hand here. I mean, it's just, it's just power and aggression. I mean, I mean that, that, that run of what, four, five songs, you've yeah. got Mouth of War, A New yeah. Level, Walk and Fucking Hostile, and yeah. then quite frankly, the nastiest ballad you will ever hear with this love. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that is just, yeah, an incredible run of songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just sheer, outright adrenaline flushed yeah. aggression, isn't it? I mean, it's quite frankly fantastic. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had the album on just earlier, and I was. Uh, you know, when we talk about aggression. You know, like mouth for war. That was a pro like the first start. The first part of that song is a kind of good segue from Cowboys from Hell. You know, and then it's got that kind of sliding riff. Um, but the thing that kind of it differentiates from Cowboys from Hell is like Phil Anselmo's voice. He's mm. so aggressive. Yeah. Kind of like screamy, um, you know, but just you can hear like piss and vinegar, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. through his voice. It's, you know, and and also just looking at, um, I mean, mu uh, you know, music is a, is a sonic art, but it's very important, the visual aspect of it. And I think actually, can we, before we go back into the talking about the album, I mean, just the, the way Pantera looked, I think is quite, an important thing. So, what what would a like a typical metal band from the late eighties and nineties sort of look like, Sharpie? Just describe it. Um, open boots, um, baggy cargo trousers or ripped jeans, um, baggy t-shirt, um, leather jacket, and long hair. That's that's interesting because I was I would actually say slightly differently. I would say that uh, the classic look, particularly in the late eighties, would have been like sort of the tight jeans, either denim or black, with a tight uh, t-shirt, a bullet belt. Yeah, so I'm thinking like the classic, you know, the photos of like Lars Ulrich and Metallica. You know, they were all you know uh, big sneakers. You're right, 
Um, so that was the kind oh, of... Oh, the baseball boots, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Boots. So that was the kind of trademark thing, and obviously long hair. And then you've got Phil, Phil Anselmo coming out wearing, you know, like shaved... Like, obviously in the... well, a shaved head was, was, was a bit, big thing. That, well, that, that was him out, you know... The, the only guy that had a shaved head, I think, was... Um, uh, the, God, the, the singer from Jesus Priest, his name's just gone right in my head. Uh, Rob Halford, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but obviously with, with Phil Anselmo, covered in tattoos, shaved head. I mean, he, he had some... He had like a kind of Mexican-style haircut and Cowboys from Hell, but... Um, you know, he comes out shaved head, and they wear the sort of cargo pants, and they kind of look like, like Pantera looked like a, a group that you would not mess with. They looked like tough as fuck, but at the same time, they looked like guys that you'd love to hang out with. You know, they had that, they, they married that kind of, um, uh, they balanced that sort of aggression with just being cool guys. You know, yeah, yeah. Earth, yeah. And I'm just looking at the um, the. Uh, vinyl in sleeve. I mean, just I don't know if you can see that sharpie. Like it, this, it just screams like energy and power and aggression. You know, Phil Anselmo. Uh, when I was thirteen, fourteen, Phil Anselmo scared the, the bejesus out of me. Yeah, he was so cool. He he was so so cool. And I think this is peak uh, Phil Anselmo. I mean, there was there was there were um, uh, lots of um, peaks after this, but but this is peak numero uno, the primero peak. So do you know the story about the album cover? Uh, in like this, so there was a almost myth around the guy who's being punched that oh, the, oh, yeah, the, yeah. Ba- <laughs> the band um, allegedly paid him ten dollars a punch, basically, mm-hmm. and to get the, the shot, he had to be punched thirty times. And of uh-huh. course, when the band was asked about it, it was like, no, 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 more like thirty-one times. And you know, they'd ask the next guy, no, it'd be thirty-two times. And ask Vinny, and he'd be like, no, it was thirty-three times. And it kind of it just the, this urban myth was created mm-hmm. over this album cover that this poor bastard was yeah, yeah. punched, you know, over and over again to get this this shot. But actually, the reality is much more mundane than that. Of course, um, yeah. It was it was actually a like a, a properly staged yeah, yeah. shot uh, done in slow motion with um, uh, with an actor, mm-hmm. um, like a hand actor, um, yeah, and yeah. it was it was kind of done professionally. But the original one was actually done in colour with, I believe, a, a red background. Oh, really? Um, I that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, apparently, there's an interview on YouTube with the with the actual photographer who's mm-hmm. actually now a, a minister. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the irony, eh? and uh, he's actually very proud of of, of the shot. Yeah. But um, he's he was disappointed that um, it ended up being grainy and in black and white. But yeah. um, I don't know, man. I think it pervades just you know the just the the, the harshness of of the album because yeah. there's a rawness to that to this album that um, you need something gritty for the cover, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that as I said. The, from moving from Cowboys from Hell, which was a heavy album, but going from this, like I was kind of like taken aback. It took me a few listens to get into it because I was just oh, it's it. it's a heavy album. It's a heavy album. Just back to the album cover. I actually always thought it was Dimebag Dowell's face that was getting punched. It's so contorted, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's. <laughs> I mean, for anybody who doesn't know the the album cover, I'll just try and describe it. It's a sort of uh, a black and white photo in a kind of uh, Roy Lichtenstein style uh, 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 kind of manner you know like uh, dots uh, basically and pantera logo up in the top left hand corner and vulgar display of power written in the bottom left hand corner and it's just a fist coming from uh right to left across 
<laughs> the uh, across the album cover, and some dude, and it, it looks like he's getting absolutely walloped. But um, of course, uh, more prosaic things, insurance, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite it's quite the album cover, like yeah, yeah. But I mean, just to quickly finish it, the the inner sleeve, the, the four pictures of the guys, it just like the picture of uh, well, it says Diamond Daryl here, which was this kind of he, he was more commonly known as Dimebag Daryl, like these kind of um, early nineties um, uh, photos. It was quite common for the grunge bands to have like, like Soundgarden. Obviously, was very famous. Um, the, the photographers there took a lot of um, uh, photographs uh, with a long exposure, so you got that kind of like streaked motion across the picture. And when I see it in in the inner sleeve of um, particularly Phil Anselmo and, and Dimebag Daryl on the stage, it just looks like chaos and anarchy. But so- <laughs> So much I energy. think that was pretty much their their lifestyle, man. Particularly on the roads. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, so well, let's do the prosaic sort of questions. What what would be? Uh, let's say on side A, what would be your favourite track there, Sharky? Oh, don't make me pick, man. That's just, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read them that's, out. That's that that's not. Fair. I'm gonna <laughs> can I have them all. Let's, let's play a game. I'll, I'm, I'm okay, gonna, okay, 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 okay. I'm gonna say. Uh, I'll say one title and then the next title, and then you say which one you prefer, and then we'll keep going until. All right, all right, that's a good game to play. So, so uh, mouth for war. Yeah. A new level. Oh no. Mm, mm, uh, uh, a new level. Are you there? A new level. Did it? Did it? Did it? Okay, this is going to be a tough one. A new level or walk? Oh. Uh, I think I'm going to go a new level again, actually. Okay. So uh, a new level and fucking hostile. Oh, so so my notes for fucking hostile are it's mental, it's face meltingly glorious. Yeah, <laughs> and then that riff at two minutes thirty, I'm gonna go fucking hostile. I'm to. Is that the riff? It goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just this al- this album for riffs is just unbelievable, oh. unbelievable. So uh, between uh, walking and fucking hostile, I'm uh, sorry, a uh, new level and fucking hostile. What- what we're saying here? Uh, I'll go. I'll go for, uh, hostile this time. Oh really? Oh, that's yeah. Surprising. So and then uh, hostile and this love. Mm. Hostile. Yeah, and hostile and rise, which I really like that track. Oh god, yeah, yeah. That's quite an interesting one because that's got a real Van Halen solo on it, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm going to go Hostile again. Yeah. For me, I think I have to go... I mean, all of these songs are great. I really like uh, Rise because it's um, it's so fast and aggressive, you know, and obviously uh, fucking Hostile's punk song just, like, on steroids. But for me, it's Walk all day. That is... That really? Is the, yeah, that is the best. That has to be one of my favourite... No, it is one of my favourite riffs. Because I think that's one of the best riffs ever written, but I don't think it's one of the best riffs on this album. Oh, no, I think... I yeah, well, it's, 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 it's up there. It's, it's up there, but some of the riffs on this this album are just ridiculous, yeah. you know? I, I think um, with, with Walk, it was the first time that I'd heard, like, a heavy metal band groove. Yeah. Really actually swing and groove. And yeah. The, yeah. the way that that riff is played, I'd never thought about really bending the bottom strings. You know, mm. bend the top strings to get, you know, wow! You know, but you never really... it was. You know, I mean, bands like Alice in Chains do it, or who would have been a, kind of a, a um, at the same time. But uh, when I heard that, 
when when that um, uh, riff came on, when we went to like uh, you know rock and metal nightclubs in Aberdeen, I think what was that place called? The Palace, I think I can't remember. Yeah, what was the yeah. nightclub? I, there was a there kind was, of rock night, wasn't there? I forget. Yeah, there was. Oh Jesus! Palace and Mishulu. There's Mishulu. Was that something before that? I can't anyway, yeah, when that <laughs> I just turned into kind of like a gorilla and started stomping oh, around. There's some sounds that just trigger you, and that's yeah. that's just one of them, isn't it? You know? I love the lyrics as well, you know. I mean, just, oh, God. Can't you see I'm easily bothered by persistence? One step flashing <laughs> out at you. I mean, for, you know, mild-mannered kids like us, this was, I mean, at, like, being a, like, a motherfucker vicariously, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, obviously, on the second side, great songs. I mean, no good attack. The radical. I actually, that's a really good riff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I, for me, um, when you were talking about um, this love as being a ballad, actually, I think I prefer a hollow, which starts with a real kind of blues, sort of appreciated style. Um, you know, clean opening. I really love Phil's voice on on yeah. on, on that. You know, he really he's got, he's got a real soulful mm-hmm. quality that to you know to when, when he sings that. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's mad. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I had uh, as I say, I was learning, uh, uh, started learning guitar properly in probably about ninety three four. I mean. My musical kind of evolution was, you know, I was a massive REM fan in sort of 1993, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then I would be listening to Pink Floyd and uh, Jimi Hendrix, the sort of stuff my dad was giving me. I had not really developed a sort of what you could call a contemporary music um, appreciation. Uh, REM would have been the first first band, but um, I kind of caught up with you guys in, in, in listening to the sort of heavier things. Obviously, you guys, obviously, we talked last week about Metallica, and that was kind of everywhere and Nirvana at the same time. But uh, yeah, I just, I kind of, uh, when I heard Pantera, that was, that was it. They, in the nineties, so the mid to late nineties, Pantera was it for me. Uh, there was other yeah. bands in um, White Zombie, um, Astro Creep 2000, bloody hell, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good album as well, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Actually, I mean, maybe we should segue there because, uh, you know, this album came out in <clears throat> 1992 which, um, as we were inferring earlier, was before my time, certainly. I don't know about you, but there were so many albums came out in that year. Um, do you have any that can spring to mind, or will I just jump in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'd say the, 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 kind of the top 10 metal albums of this this year are actually really kind of worth kind of pointing out, actually, because yeah. you've got a real mix of stuff. You've mm. got Cuse's um, Blues for a Red Sun. Mm-hmm. You've got Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> You've got Dream Theater, mm-hmm. Iron Maiden's Feet of the Dark, oh. um, Rage Against Machines debut. Was um, it too, was it? Yeah, man. Oh, wow. Um, you had uh, Megadeth, mm-hmm. uh, Countdown to Extinction. Yeah, wow. Uh, Black Sabbath um, and Faith No More. So yeah, yeah, yeah. a real eclectic yeah. mix kind of in the kind of rock and sort of metal kind of genre. Yeah. Lots of stuff going on there, you know? Was, was, I was, the band that I was actually thinking was Alison Chain's Dirt, but maybe that was ninety. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's, that's another one. Yeah, was that, I, I couldn't remember if it was ninety two or ninety three. No, I, I was ninety two as well. Yeah. Was it right? Yeah, because yeah. So I mean, what a, you know? As I say, I got into these albums kind of after the fact, and in fact, I um, like 
for Alton Chains, it wasn't until I started playing in a band uh, in Aberdeen that they, they were all older guys than me by sort of 10 years. Um, uh, and they gave me uh, Dirt by Alton Chains. And I was like, what the fuck? Is, this is amazing. Yeah. Never heard it. You know, because, you know, well, you know, when we were sort of getting into music, I suppose the, the, pre the prevailing thing would have been Britpop, um, you know, Oasis and uh, uh, Blur. Um, metal was metal was what metal is it's always a kind yeah. of slightly to the side underground passionate type thing yeah uh and you know nirvana and pearl jam and smashing pumpkins would have been would have been kind of in the air but certainly in the uk predominantly it was uh uh Britpop, which uh you know at the time i didn't really care for um <laughs> So, uh, sorry, uh, dead airspace there, guys. We're getting, we're just, we're new to this. I mean, shall we just talk about why we're actually doing this, Sharpie? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, so Stu and I have been music fans for a, for a long time. And um, we, meet before lockdown, we, we, we meet up regularly and, you know, go out for our beers and things like that and, um, you know, chat on general things, but our conversation always generally turns towards music at some point through the night, and whether it's new music that that we've heard, of, like oh, have you you know checked this out or whatever, or um, you know, reminiscing on on on, on music that mm. we'd maybe not heard for a while or whatever. Generally, our conversation always turns to music, so. With lockdown and I really hate the term. To, sorry to interject there. It's such a I, I don't like the way it's sort of become common parlance, you know. Because I mean, lockdown, throwaway term now, isn't it? So with well, everything that's going on, well, we're, essentially we're, we're missing our conversation. So we thought we would do something constructive and positive with it, and um, listen to other podcasts out there. It's we we thought we could turn the conversations into a more focused thing around, you know like an album club kind of idea. So th this is kind of what what we're doing just now. So we're, we've written a list of, of albums that we think might be good conversation pieces. And uh, so some we um, we both like. Um, some from Stuart's list I've never heard of before in my life. And I'm kind of looking forward to going into it and discovering new things. And likewise, I think with Stuart, there's some things on my list, some of it's old, some newer stuff that I don't think he's usually familiar with either. Um, probably on the heavier side of things, I would think, Stuart, would you say? Um, well, I, some of the bands I am really not uh, familiar with on, on your list, but uh, look, we just look, we're, you know, we're like everybody else at the moment. We're sort of, uh, you know, well, as the term implies, lockdown, we're prisoners in our own homes. Um, we're just trying to make the best of what we can uh, with uh, technology and use it somewhere. I mean, we just, we hope that you enjoy it. And, you know, if you want to contribute, we will have an email address, which is going to be set up quite soon. And we'll be uh, looking forward to hearing your um your comments and your thoughts. Uh, I mean, if you want to go old school, yeah, you can send us a letter to P.O. Box. I don't give a fuck. And um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Answers on a postcard type thing. 
but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's um, get back to, to the album. Um, I wanted to um, uh, go back to like uh, visuals, and I think one of the very very important things that uh, was part of my um, allegiance, let's say, to Pantera was um, they had they released the vulgar videos. Uh, oh man, they had yeah, they're brilliant. Oh, many a happy hour with a beer and. Yeah. YouTube watches the vulgar videos, yeah, yeah. But I think, and if you have, if 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 you guys haven't seen them, these things are are easy to find, and it's like stuff you you you've you've never seen before. Yeah. Like, so this is like kind of, I think, uh, what was that TV show uh, where they were like kind of crashing things around? Uh, uh, oh Jesus, you know the MTV one, uh, Jackass. This is Jackass before Jackass. Um, they had a video out for the, um, when I say a video, they called them home movies and you could only buy them on VHS cassette. Uh, and as I say, because you, because you couldn't see your favorite bands unless it was, they had a picture on their album cover or the, you know, the, um, monthly magazines or whatever, there was a real kind of mystery. You'd go into a record shop or a CD store at the time and there was also a massive section of, of videotapes for live concerts. It was a big part of the music business. And the um, so you had the Cowboys from Hell one, um, which showed them on their tour, and then the vulgar display of power, which was, as David says, hilarious. Uh, just all sorts of shenanigans, live uh, parts of uh, live concerts, uh, live from Moscow where they played a million people, uh, the videos, the video for Walk and uh, Mouth for War, etc., um, and just all sorts of sh- shenanigans, lots of drinking. Uh, Smattering of tits. It's all. It's great. Drunk, you know, when, drunken, no, drunken nonsense. Yeah, man, you're a boy. Everything you want. <laughs> so I, I was, I, I listened to quite a few podcasts, and one of the ones I listened to is uh, Rob Flynn's uh, No Fucking Regrets yeah. podcast. I've never heard. And that, but, uh, yeah, go on, please. And um, he had. Uh, he's a DJ mm. in um, Texas called Thrash and Allen. All right. He was actually one of Dimebag's. Ah, yeah best buds yeah 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 and he's got this real texas yeah low deep draw you could listen to him for hours yeah, yeah. Uh, but but he was behind the camera for a lot of oh, really? videos okay yeah yeah so he'd like dime would fall uh, phone him up and says thrashing yeah and um, we're going out for beers and they'd go and tear it up you know and go and go on a bender and yeah. but dimebag would always ask him to to take his video because Dime would always want to see the carry on, yeah, yeah, that they would get up to kind of at their most extreme sort of thing. And a lot of this stuff ended up in the uh, vulgar videos, yeah. And the good thing about those vulgar videos and just the kind of the, the type of characters that were in Pantera, I mean, they're so open, like you didn't just get to know the members of the bands, you got to know the stage crew, the lighting guy, yeah. the manager, they were all part of this sort of yeah. wider, well, Cowboys from Hell uh, troupe, and yeah. Just uh, hilarious! You see them going around the world, you know, Japan, Australia, down in South America, Europe. Yeah, and just uh, leaving a trail of destruction. Oh, is... yes. Uh, they had a third one, uh, Vulgar Videos Three, which came out after after the Great Southern Tranquil. Uh, they're they're all just hilarious, and I say I think um, particularly in the nineties, um, it was a very important way of uh, in the eighties, nineties of kind of. Um, you know, bands were quite mysterious. There was no Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. You you weren't connecting to these people, and they, um, you know, Pantera didn't really come to the UK that often. Um, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to circle back. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, the shows they played were virginal legendary. I mean, yeah. their first um, Donington uh, show is, is this stuff a legend, like, you know. So, David, have you seen Pantera live? No, man. I'm, and it's to, to this, etern- to my eternal regret, yeah. I've, I've not seen um, Pantera live. The closest, and it's not even that close, to be honest, was... Um, I was on holiday. I've got my parents staying in the US and um, they stayed in Ohio for a while. And in Ohio, there's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, up in, I think it's the north of the state. And um, Slayer were playing when I was over. So we were going to make a weekend of it. We were going to see Slayer and then visit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And this was 2007, so a year after Dime passed away. Uh, No, I think your dates are a wee bit wrong there, Sharpie. I think... Dimebag Darrell, uh, he died when I was in Austria, I know that, uh, and that was 2003. Right. Uh, 2003, sorry, yeah, so, yeah. It, but it was, this was 2007 anyway, uh, it's, the, 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 it's um, kind of neither here nor there, mm. but, so the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is this massive glass yeah. pyramid, flooded with light as you walk in, and just on the other side of the ticket kiosk, there was this glass case. Oh, right, okay. And it was top lit, yeah. and it was in this glass case was Dime's blue Dime Bolt guitar. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And you know, I I actually didn't, I didn't kind of appreciate kind of what we missed until I kind of saw Dime's guitar in in that case. Thought, man, you know, he's we've we've missed a big part of our yeah. scene here you know and um it was you know as, as, as to, to see that that guitar that's that's now so famous like you see in all these live videos he's he's got his playing his blue dime ball yeah. sometimes it's the one but i think predominantly his blue one and but see that glass case not on the stage but yeah in this glass case was just like oh man that's that's just you know heartbreaking like you know so no it, in a long-winded way of answering your question, no, I've not. Yeah. Um, but have you seen the Moscow uh, gig? Well, I've I've seen it on on video, so yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For so th- this this was quite uh, quite quite a thing. So about two three weeks before the release mm. of this album, they were invited to play Moscow. Yeah. And it was just as the communist regime was was crumbling. So the incoming government promised the kids a rock and roll concert. Yeah. So they invited Metallica, ACDC and Pantera. And I remember being at this house party. I think, um, was it the Black Crows were also on that bill? With maybe the Black Crows as well, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I remember being at this house party and this video was kind of on in the background, yeah. you know, on the TV sort of thing. And... Um, Nobody was really paying much attention to it, but then Pantera came on, mm. and just this blast mm. of fucking aggression from this TV, and you know that you get this low-level kind of hubbub of you know party, yeah. you know sort of noises, sort of thing. Everybody stopped for a moment. I mean, we're all we're all kind of it was all kind of rockers and metalheads yeah. in this party, but they all stopped, turned around, and, and just for a second. <laughs> had to see what was going yeah. on because Pantera came burst onto this stage and the 
the atmosphere in the context was really quite interesting because you had all these kids mm. going crazy because their whole lives were about to change. Yeah. But then the security for the, for the concert mm. was actually, the, you know, the, the old guard police. Yeah. And they were beating the shit out of the kids, you know. And um, so Pantera just came on as just this bright flash of, you know, the, kind of just the future for, for these kids and just destroyed the place, you know, for 25 minutes. It was just an incredible thing, you know. And it was it was almost like, you know, I, I, I see Pantera from this album as, as, a, as a nod to the future. I mean, there's... Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... Like we spoke about the Black Album and Pantera were at, like in, in in interviews about this album, Pantera were actually really disappointed with Metallica and them not being heavy mm. in the Black Album. So Pantera came off of touring Cowboys from Hell yeah. and basically went straight into the studio with the specific yeah. purpose of making the heaviest fucking music that they that they possibly could. They were utterly utterly driven in this quest yeah. to make the heaviest album that they could mm-hmm. and I would probably say from the, the the perspective that I get from the interviews was this is probably the most focused Pantera album that they ever made as well because you know they, they, they almost like had a cause with this to make, yeah. to make it so heavy you yeah. know um, and certainly for the first half you know, I think. I mean, certainly. No, was, I think it's it's, it's, it's all wife. killer, no filler. There's just there's there's no there's no uh, there's no fat in this record. It is no lean. Yeah. This this album rates higher in reviews than the Black Album. I can imagine that. I can imagine that. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah nine out of ten. Yeah. Um, four out of five reviews. Yeah. You know. Well, this. I mean, this is. You've got to think about where where uh, this was them on on the like on the trajectory to sort of stardom. The next album, Far yeah. Beyond, was number one on the Billboard charts in the US. I think the next album, the next uh, number two was Ace of Base. You know, just you know, <laughs> crazy. Um, I mean, going back to that uh, Moscow concert, yeah. I mean, uh, please everybody go on YouTube or buy the the, the vulgar videos and you'll see it. It's just incredible. Um, I mean, David was uh, talking about the the rather heavy-handed security. I mean, kind of the modern version of that would be kind of the Metropolitan Police uh, beating up by a lockdown protesters. They're, it was just yeah. unbelievable. Um, and going, going back to Dime's guitar, I mean, obviously I say I'm a guitar player. I've always been Ibanez. Um, that's been my brand, uh, more because of Steve Vai and stuff. But one of my friends had um, the the Dime bag, uh, uh, was it Washburn? Because he had two, yeah. I remember. Yeah, he he was he was yeah he was essentially yeah. sponsored by Washburn. Yeah, yeah. There was that, he had another one. It's just got escaped. But the thing about that guitar is because it's that kind of um, uh, kind of Texas cro- uh, that sort of uh, cross shape, and the headstock is also that kind of inverted V. It's a huge, huge guitar, and you know, like the flight cases are ridiculous size as well, isn't it? For for it because the odd shape of it yeah because like you know like a, a typical guitar is sort of like the, the back end is shaped like a bum you know it sort of swings round. but in this guitar it's got you know pointy arrows sticking out so and then on the headstock it's sticking out so like you know i remember uh, one of my flatmates he had a he had a, a jackson flying b which was kind of like asymmetric 
a bit like uh, uh, maybe I think like uh, sort of Kerry King might have had an asymmetric one. But forever, when he was playing the guitar and walking through the house, he would forever be smashing the guitar door jam, you know, because he forgot. <laughs> um, but yeah, my my experience with Pantera Live is unfortunately also just through uh, video. Um, I did actually have a ticket to see Pantera. Um, in Glasgow in 2001 and it, uh -huh. yes it was September the 16th I think of um, uh, 2001 but of course it was a rather unfortunate event a few days earlier and um, it was supposed to be Slayer, Pantera and a few other bands but Pantera uh, I think were en route to play Dublin the night before September the 11th happened they decided, oh, of course. They decided no uh, we're just going back to the States. Slayer, to their credit, they did come on. And I think the other bands I remember from that were Biohazard, Cradle of Filth. Um, so that was the first time I saw Slayer with, uh, and that, that was with um, uh, Jeff Hanneman. Uh, wow. And yeah. the, the other time that I came close was, uh, this must have been just after the Great Southern Tranquil, where I was like like peak uh, Pantera fan, Um uh, and it would have just been when the internet was sort of coming into, literally coming into our homes with computers. Uh, I noticed that the Battlelands, Pantera were playing there. And I was like, ah, ah what do I do? How do I get tickets? Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, so I called up. Unfortunately, it was sold out. And I was so... Of course. Um, so, yeah, I never got to see uh, Pantera live. I did get to see um, Down, Phil Anselmo played with Down in, in Germany a few years ago. Well, mm. actually, I say a few years ago, 2008, uh, no, 2009, when they were playing uh, with Metallica. Um, unfortunately, I got sunburned, so I was kind of hiding in the shade. <laughs> that day. It was an open air stadium, open air gig, but yeah. Uh, I mean, the Pantera, like through their live performance and through their kind of um, uh, persona through magazines and interviews, you know, headbangers, bald, yada, yada, yada. They developed such a, like, uh, uh, a fan base, you know, and the fans really felt like they were, like, mates with Pantera, you know? Like like I said, Pantera looked like guys you would want to fuck with, but at the same time, you'd love to have a drink with them and just, you know, shoot the breeze. They'd just be great fun, you know? And so the vulgar video, I think that is the best way of experience experiencing um pantera uh, now and listening to this this album because it's just it's just sensational so um yeah what was wanting to ask you david what albums do you think for you at least um uh kind of immediately preceded it what do you think was kind of in their ears that were making them for whatever like uh, something they were reacting against or they really liked that influenced them onto this album and what album and maybe in your collection, do you think is most um, uh, its existence has most to um, thank for uh, coming from um, vulgar display of power? Wow. Um, so I think I mean I've looking at interviews recently. I mean they they actively reacted against the, the black album. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to make something mm -hmm. angry and violent. Yeah, and heavy and unpleasant you know because and they, they wanted to claim Metallica's crown they yep. wanted to, to claim Metallica's crown at the top of the heavy metal tree yeah that that was that was their aim they they could see uh 
a, a place developing for them. And they worked, yeah. you know, and that's that's where where their focus came from for this album, I think. And if you, you kind of look at the singles that they released, so you've got Mouth of War, Heavy, This Love, and Hollow as well. Was that a single? Uh, apparently it was a single, yeah. And then you had Walk, of course, which yeah. is the, you know, it's, it's, it's the stadium filler, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's just, it's going to be massive forever. Yeah. You know, so I think four really carefully chosen singles because they could have chosen essentially to release three or four of the first yeah four songs but would it have 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 progressed them i remember and I know- the, sorry to interject the the video for mouth for war um one of the key kind of uh, motifs of that video is is phil anselmo with a sledgehammer yes, it is. and it, it's such a metaphor for kind of them and this album uh, it's just you know, it, it's so of course cool. it is. <laughs> I mean, it's like Clown and, and his flaming baseball bat, isn't it? From Slipknot. I mean, it's yeah. just yeah. <laughs> um, I, so yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it was a definitive reaction against mm-hmm. something yeah. kind of particular, as as to be, you know, an influence for for the future. I think. This is so. When you read the press about these time, these 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 few years, you're kind of told that you know grunge killed metal and you know this sort of thing. But this is the album mm-hmm. that is is my argument against that. Yeah, you know this is pure metal. This is the heaviest yeah. metal of all the heavy metal albums. I, I think that um, Pantera, in their sound and look, um, managed to take metal, which was getting a little bit... Stale, perhaps? No, I was going to say, like, hysterical. It was kind of a little bit all about image. So you, on one hand, you had yeah. boxing, and then on the other hand, you had sort of Slayer trying, like, looking like, you know, uh, what would you say? Like Satanist or something. You know, it was getting a little bit sort of theatrical. Theatrical, that's the best, better way. And obviously the grunge thing was all about just you know, getting on stage and playing in your normal clothes. Pantera kind of fitted right in between that because they did come on stage wearing their clothes, but when they did, they absolutely fucking flattened you. But but they, but this album influenced new metal in such a big way. Uh, you know, yeah. huge huge influence yeah. through new metal and beyond that. So basically, new metal. There, there is there isn't an angrier album yeah. until you listen to Slipknot's Iowa. There isn't an angrier album out there until you listen to Slipknot's Iowa. It's that sheer, pure, hate-filled adrenaline rush. You won't get that until... Well, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, New Metal. And when you did, the first thing that came to mind is that, yes, this album, uh, Vulgar Display of Power and Rage Against the Machines, first album, you combine that together, that is the genetic structure of New Metal. And then the first, the next thing I thought about, well, they're not everybody's favorite band, but Limp Biscuit, I think, took those two things together uh, quite um, uh, efficiently to make yeah. really kind of powerful, uh, less less aggressive, uh, less kind of violent, but um, still this power groove. And I think the power groove element of this album is 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 the, the defining thing. It made, um, as you say, it, this album enabled new metal to be such a thing you know because before that 
as I said, as I said earlier, metal was pretty rigid, uh, both visually and kind of rhythmically. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking, like for for me, so you're saying that um, this was a reaction against something like Metallica going more rock than metal. I was I was listening to Skid Row the other day, uh, their um, uh, uh, album with the uh, God, the, the names escape me. Um, Live to the grind. No, it's the album before that. It's the one with the the, the big eighteen in, in life. Um, but when I was, but both of those albums um, and um, Skid Row toured with, um, or rather the other way around, Skid Row took uh, Pantera out on the Cowboys for Hell uh, kind of circuit. And that Skid Row album is actually quite an aggressive, yeah, um, album. Albeit it's in this sort of glam rock, cock rock thing. It's it's got a bit more balls. It's got a bit more aggression to it. The sound of the guitars. So I, I just wondered if that was a small influence on them. And and I think in the Cowboys from Hell uh, home video, um, they parted with uh, you know Sebastian back and and they did. They parted pretty heavily, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. I was just listening to that album the other night. I was actually recording it on mini disc. Shout out to uh, Retro Technology. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and I just thought, yeah, that that's that's maybe something because because um, the, this album is such a departure from all metal before it. I mean, I know that um, they were influenced by prong, but I'm not that familiar with prong and some of the sort of what you might call the sort of um, the New Orleans sort of sludge metal. I'm not so familiar with that. Only kind of through Down and another band. Yeah. So um, I couldn't. It, it, the, the departure, as I said, was, was a shock for me when I first heard it. It was so heavy, so groovy that I didn't quite know what to make of it initially. Um, so, like, in terms of, like, the, the post-Vulgar um, Display albums, what, which one do you think, what would be your favourite album that you can see um, was, di- like, kind of directly influenced or uh, majorly influenced by this album? Um... Mind flitting through all the, I think it has to be probably Slipknot's debut. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's that a groove. Of- there's, there, it takes, it takes that groove and it just yeah. ratchets it up the heavy mm-hmm. a bit and adds kind of new influences into it. Yeah, um, drum influence, Vinnie Paul's drum, drum influence in that. So Pantera's makeup, like. We listen to a lot of a lot of metal, mm. right? Most, if not all of the, the heavy metal bands, generally have two guitarists. Mm, yeah. So Pantera, one guitarist, yes. right? And the in so Di, um, Diamond Vinny, you know, brothers, mm. and I find that dynamic really interesting because. Mm. The interplay between, particularly the riffs yeah. and Vinny's drums, yeah. it's almost telepathic at times. So when riff, when Dime turns a riff, yeah. v- the way Vinny mm. fills, adds fills and rolls in, in, in into that, creates just this underlying heavy heavy beat that would occupy the space yeah. almost of a rhythm you've, guitarist. You've also got to give credit to Rex Brown because he is like fucking 
And that was my next. Yeah. That, and that was my next. Height point. is a nun. One of the most Im- imaginative bassists mm. in, 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 you know, the heavy music that yeah. we love has to be Rex Brown. Yeah. Because, yeah. Th- so the interplay between those two yeah. would, would occupy the space, you know, the sonic space where a, a rhythm guitarist would be. So you've got this gap, this 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 space, that void almost that needs to be filled. Yeah. And Rex Brown on this album, yeah, the 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 fills and runs that he puts in, mm. to 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 to, he creates a lot of this groove, yeah. with with it, with his fills and runs. I mean, it, it it's just the most imaginative yeah. bass playing, you know. And it's to a lot of people, I think, kind of underrated. Yeah. When you when you mentioned this, our brother. Uh, or literal genetics of the band uh, you know I mentioned Van Halen earlier but the other thing I, I thought about was uh, ACDC uh, in the sense that they had a very 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 tight rhythm obviously it was uh, the two guitarists Malcolm mm-hmm. Angus but um, you know that kind of um, uh, riff you know with with space you know Pantera took uh, took aspects of that and then when you were mentioning um, Vinnie Paul and Dimebag being kind of interplaying well I think a very good song in that is By Demons Be Driven because you've got that sort of 16th note basically they ripped off uh, part of uh, One by Metallica you know you know uh, that riff you know. <laughs> um, yeah amazing yeah I was going to say, um, in terms of answering my own question about what uh, this album did, I'm glad you mentioned New Metal because it saves me from doing it. But one band that I think that's quite uh, a big, inf- was influenced quite a lot and went on to create their own uh, li- distinct music uh, genre is actually Meshuggah. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I think their album Destroy, Raise, Improve and the... Um, which was in 1995, and then the, uh, maybe the next album, Sphere. When I was talking earlier about the kind of chromatic riffs and the different groupings, so the accent would fall and the syncopated things, that is something, and, and also the breakdowns, which I haven't really had a chance to mention, you know, the way, uh, you know, literally they could slow the song down and, and then build up the tension and all that sort of stuff. I think uh, Meshuggah were ones that took that idea and ran with it and created something very new out of it, you know, because obviously they had those kind of, they were basically like the kind of metal version of Yes, you know, taking crazy <laughs> time signatures, playing, you know, the drums are playing in one time signature, the guitars are playing another. Uh, and once you play it so many times, you come back and meet each other, but it, mm-hmm. it'll, <laughs> nobody knows where you're at. Um, you know, if you listen to a song like Bleed, you know, which obviously came out in 2008, you know, it's just like trundling. You know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And, th- and this is and this is my point is that you know this grunge kill metal thing is is a load of nonsense. Otherwise, we would not have bands like Sugar creating yeah. music like that now. You know, and it's and it it just it, that kind of yeah. line just has to stop. As yeah, well, I, I actually get tired of hearing that kind of the you know rock is dead or the something killed metal. It metal and and rock is. You know, anybody who has a little bit pissed off with the world and likes the sound of a guitar will, you know, it's it's kind of like that, uh, you know, 
if there's a nuclear war, you know, it's like it's kind of rats and red wine or whatever. <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they will always come back. It doesn't matter what. No, I'll rephrase that. They'll always be there. They'll be there in yeah. smaller numbers or larger numbers, but they'll always be there. And people, be there, yeah. you know, I, I don't know about you. I'm the sort of character who I don't like kind of following the crowd. I like waiting for things that, you know, I, you know, if everybody rushes to something, I'm kind of like a little instinct, like what something, something's a bit sus here. You know, I, I'm, you know, let me wait. Uh, you know, I've been like that with so many bands, yeah. you know, that you, you see them promoted kind of endlessly in various media spheres. Yeah. And you kind of thought, ah, you, you know, and because you're, because, I'm I'm very much like you. If I'm bombarded with something, a lot of Macley almost, I would just sheer contrariness, yeah. take a step back and let that subside yeah. a bit. And it's been to my detriment. I am not denying that yeah. for a moment. So I am a late comer to Slipknot. Um, I am a late comer to Ghost mm -hmm. because of my contrary attitude. Yeah. You know, I've 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 allowed the dust to settle and sometimes settle for years, and then I've come back to it. And then I think to myself, man, I've you know, uh, what have I missed? Yeah, here, you know, it, it hits home most when you like you pick up an old copy of like Metal Hammer and you realize that that band, which is now your favorite band, was yeah. playing, you know, a small club in your town you know, <laughs> yeah. a few years ago. And you think, fuck, you know, um, eternal regret. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that's that's the joy of kind of like whatever art you enjoy, you know, you find your own thing. And that's part like, you know, I was uh, before I kind of. Well, no, would I say before, concurrently with getting into Pantera, I got into Dream Theater, you know, and, you know, being a kid in Aberdeen, small city of 250,000 people, I basically thought nobody else in the city or even basically in Scotland or the UK would listen to this band. You know, I didn't know, of course, that there were people doing it, but because just the nature of media and, you know, communications, I just felt like I was in my own little world and I loved it. You know, I loved listening to this kind of music, which I really, really enjoyed and I loved kind of believing that I discovered something on my on, on my own and uh you know I kind of cherished um uh that that aspect of it you know but as you say you get into bands and then you think oh fuck I wish I had Jesus if I'd known about that or god I should have gone to that gig you know uh, <laughs> I mean in recent times I've kind of gotten I've, I wouldn't say I've moved away from metal uh, but I've gotten into other types of music so it's one of the first I got into uh, synthwave and um, kind of uh, that kind of video game style music back in sort of 2013 and 14. That was the first time I kind of felt like I was actually on the crest of a wave rather than, um, you know, sitting, you know, way back in a surfboard waiting for the next wave, you know. Um, that was the first time I kind of felt that like I was like really... Uh, but I mean, again, in the internet, you, you, you create uh, connections and uh, see things... Uh, which you know aren't really there, but I felt like I was like listening to bands that were really on the cutting edge and, and doing stuff. And when they started playing concerts, you know, I was the first one there. Um, you know, here like you know, I went to see Dance of the Dead in a tiny little gig in in in, um, in Glasgow, and it was great. I loved it. You know, it was it really felt like you know the you know the fifty other people that were in the gig squeezed into this kind of shithole place. Really, <laughs> we were you know uh, you know. I can imagine that it, this, that that feeling would have been prevalent back in the sort of late well the eighties and up until about the mid nineties when you found a, a new band. I mean, can you imagine seeing Pantera like 
in, you know, 1990. Well, I mean, you know, we, you know, in retrospect, we think they were already big, but they were just a yeah. band that was releasing an album, was getting a bit of promotion and getting a bit of PR. But if you'd seen that thing, you know, them play, I mean, it just must have, like, just knocked you for six. Yeah, it's um, sometimes difficult to kind of look back, you know, these, you know, these such well-known bands and, and think that they, 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 they were ever small. And, and of course they did. And, you know, the, the walk is um, a reaction to people saying that they'd sold out. Yeah, yeah. You know, that they'd, they'd got too big, that they were, yeah. you know, not playing the... The, the dives where all the local guys, yeah, 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 local guys would come and see them, you know, and and that, that's what what walks about, yeah. like you know. Actually, the video for that, I understand, was filmed in a kind of uh, kind of um, French Renaissance Beaux Arts type uh, concert hall in, in in Chicago, and they, you know, it wasn't actually at a concert. It was it was um, they got fans in to play uh, to to listen to the band while they did the video. But that that video where the kids are like jumping off the balconies yeah um onto the you know crowd surfing that that it really gives you that kind of feeling of of um energy i mean i must admit now that i'm nearly 40 if i'd been in a gig like that i'd probably be pissed off like, just leave me alone i won't watch the gig you know but um have you ever crowd surfed sharpie oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've done my fair share of crowd i don't tend to anymore yeah. once i'm ensconced kind of near the front that, that's me like yeah. you know i don't tend to but um you know fair play to those that do yeah. uh, you know i i've the, the... i've never done it i mean i'm uh both sharp and i are sort of taller chaps for for scottish people at least but um the last time i felt that the urge to do it was i actually saw kill switch engage <laughs> yes um, that would do it to you yeah. right enough. <laughs> that, but the thing was I, I that was when i was living in japan and i was uh <laughs> I went to the gig by myself, but there was uh, in Japan. There's quite a lot of Brazilians and uh, Caucasian Brazilians, and um, uh, I, I started speaking to this guy who, you know, he lived in Japan for ages. But you know, he was a very tall, thin guy, but he was like mental. You know, uh, no, didn't doesn't matter. You're in a you know a, a kind of refined and quiet culture. He just sort of jumped on the stage and jumped off, and like the people still carried him. And I was like, well, if they can carry him, they can carry me. And I, oh. But uh, yeah, as I said, he was tall and very uh, thin and lean. I'm sort of tall and, you know, I carry a little bit of weight. So <laughs> I, I decided it was best for everybody that I stay yeah. on my feet and uh, much to my uh, regret. So I have never crowd surfed much as I would like to and, you know, do the Wayne's World thing. Yeah. The craziest gig I've, I've been to um, crowd surfing was actually the... Recent Machine Head um, All Nighter, um, where they played "Burn My Eyes." Was that the gig that you went to by yourself? We went to the together to the one previous. Is that the one? Uh, yes. Yeah. So they so they played. It was the anniversary of "Burn My Eyes," ah, and yeah. they played with Chris Contos and um, yeah, the, the the original band and um, the entire "Burn My Eyes" set. There was like I was about four people away from the barrier and just hundreds of people crowd surfing the yeah. entire album length, mm -hmm. just constant waves of 
of people crowd surfing. It was it, it was incredible, actually. It was just incredible. Circle pits going on underneath. Yeah. It was just like glorious chaos. It was brilliant. I loved every second of it. Like, you know. We're talking like this, it really makes me sad. What, do you think we'll get gigs back? Oh God, I don't. I really, I really don't want to think about it. I think I want, I want. If gigs are going to come back, I want them back properly, and I don't want any half-arse efforts with social distancing and yeah. stupid plastic bubbles or, or whatever. You know, I want to be crashing around and yeah. banging into people, and then banging into me and circle pitting like crazy and whatever. You know. I know it's. Uh, I mean, I saw that uh, like in the summer. So, uh, if, you know, I don't know if to our audience if you're listening in the morning or the evening or the night or you're listening to this ten years henceforth from when it was created. This is, uh, you know, well, we're talking in uh, January 2021. But uh, um, yeah, I saw that like last summer in 2020, like in Finland, um, they were having like concerts at. But I uh, so like. Um, What's the guy? Oh God, Alexi Lajo, Lajo, who recently just passed away. His new band was playing a gig, and uh, you know, in an in an indoor venue. Uh, but I noticed that um, it was the way it was filmed. They it was not dynamically filmed. It was not moving, and the people seemed to be um, kind of like behind, uh, like kind of old football style terraces. You know, they put up like uh, little uh, division uh, bollards. You know, and I guess. It meant that, you know, one row stood and there would be two or three feet or whatever it is, you know, to the next row. And yeah, I just it's it's a bit it's gonna be a big problem if it doesn't come back pretty soon because you know, most bands, sure Metallica, they can sit and do not much and make money from uh iTunes and stuff and they already have a lot of money, but the kind of middle-sized bands that, you know, maybe Machine Head might be in that side. Yeah, absolutely. Oil yeah, Work, yeah. Dark Tranquility, In Flames, uh, and newer bands like uh, Ghost or Three Teeth or whatever. This is a really, this is a big problem, you know, because, you know, nowadays we, we, we pay, what is the phrase, you know, through the streaming thing, we pay for, forever to gain access to everything. Whereas in the past, we'd pay once to have it forever. You know, mm -hmm. um, but it, that means that the guys, the bands, they don't really make, you know, they don't get a big paycheck. They get a trickle literally every week, but it is just a trickle. Uh, so it's, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I got into Twin Temple in January 2020 and I saw that they were playing in Glasgow and I thought, oh God, I really want to go and see that. But it just so happened that, and I was all set to go. I didn't buy a ticket in advance, but I thought, right, fuck it. I'll just, as long as work's not too bad that day, I'll just, shoot across drive across and uh and go but that day at work was naff and i thought fuck it i'd been to a couple other gigs um that week uh, i'll leave it i'm sure it'll be another time but lo and behold <laughs> yeah it's so and this is why we're we're kind of doing this isn't it yeah just to... it's gonna keep the the interest alive you know have you seen that movie Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone. Oh God, a long time ago. Yeah, so actually, if you watch that now, it's so prescient. So basically, like in the future, like uh, in that movie, you know, people don't have sex because it's a dirty thing. Have a kind of like a virtual kind of sex, and um, you know, people live below ground. Yeah, yeah. 
So I think Sharpie's basically telling me that let's not go there, Stuart. Let's just cut this short. <laughs> so, well, um, so that was a vulgar display of power in a kind of um, roundabout way. Any, like, last words, thoughts? I just think it's one of the greatest albums of our generation, and it pointed to the future of, of what was to come, really. Um, and it's and out today still as being, you know... It doesn't date this album. No, it, it's, a, it, it's a true classic in that sense. Yeah. This, it, doesn't, it doesn't date. Not at all. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like kind of like Dark Side of the Moon. The, the, the production, it does not sound dated. When you no. play it, it sounds fresh. It sounds uh, current. It sounds vital. It's, yeah, um, what a band. Kicked your ass any day of the week. Definitely, yeah. It's just such, a, such an amazing album. So, David, yes, it's, uh, that's us hitting the 80-minute mark. We're going to be coming back with the next episode in the near future. What are we going to talk about in that next episode, Sharpie? Oh, I don't know. I um, hadn't really thought about it. You got any any ideas? Well, I'm just going to look at our notes that I had written up. Um, well, so uh, this this episode was... Uh, kind of well, we both decided on this album. It just so happened that we both thought that this was an album we'd like to discuss. Um, are you don't have something that you want to discuss immediately spring to mind? Um, I would quite like to do something a little bit different, perhaps. So, um, let's let's do the Who Live at Leeds. That is a bit of a difference. That that yeah, yeah that's let's that's... do something completely different. Let's yeah. do the the Who Live at Leeds. Okay, well, that's going to be a learning experience for me, I have to say. So that is something different. Right, okay, well, that was Vinyl uh, Revelations. Um, we're still getting the hang of this. I hope you're hanging with us. Um, and let's, uh, it's goodbye from Stuart and... So goodbye from me. Okay, that will be that.